Thanks for listening to Hit Subscribe, a podcast by Recharge. I'm your host, Scott Nickeljohn, and on this episode, we're talking to Yasin and Yusuf Sherbaji, co-founders and managing partners of PrismFly. PrismFly specialize in conversion rate optimization alongside best-in-class design and development to create leading digital experiences. Yasin and Yusuf share the different paths they took to get started in e-commerce before deciding to go into business together as brothers. They share with us some of the misunderstandings about CRO, why subscriptions are so key to building up that loyal customer base, as well as the benefits of adding bundling options to your products. We wrap up our conversation with advice to new merchants just starting out, as well as some key trends to keep an eye on in 2022. So without further ado, let's get started. Yasin and Yusuf, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us, Scott. Happy to be here. Uh, so a lot to talk about today, but I want to talk about first, a little bit about yourselves and a little bit about Prism Fly. So Yasin, why don't you go first? Thanks, Scott. Yeah, so so my name's Yasin, and uh, I'm a managing partner here at PrismFly and also a co-founder. PrismFly is a performance marketing business that specializes in conversion rate optimization, and we also pair that with best-in-class strategy um, development and design. And uh, I really serve in a business development capacity here, so I spend most of my time talking to new clients, talking to them about their problems, uh, and stuff like that. And Yusuf, how about you? What do you bring to the table here? Yeah, so I'm, I'm the other side, the other founder, uh, and also a managing partner here at PrismFly. Uh, my background is in all things CRO. I've been doing digital for forever, SEO, um, being a merchant myself, as well as um, at, a, at different agencies. But really, my strong suit's in CRO um, and kind of helping brands think about how to improve their on-site experience and ultimately uh, figure out how to figure out this e-commerce game. Uh, you two are brothers, no spoiler alert here. I'd love to talk about the origins of PrismFly and, and how this came to be. So you mentioned you guys were merchants before. You said you did like a streetwear brand, right, for a bit? Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a great question. So probably about three years ago, um, a buddy of mine was telling me a little bit about this e-commerce thing and this world of Shopify. <laughs> and at the time, I was I was still in college and this seemed like a really attractive you know, proposal because I was like, hey, I'm looking for a way to pay for college. Like, this could be interesting for me to learn about. Maybe I could create you know, something cool here. Um, so had no prior expectations, but quickly got into it. Um, I was always a fan of streetwear uh, and clothing and fashion and things like that. And so I came to Yusuf and said, hey, if you have some extra time, like this could be a fun side project for us to work on and have fun with. And within a matter of you know, I think it was five or six months, we'd grown the store to multiple six figures. And we really just took a big step back. And we said, this is really incredible. Like something is happening here. And we want to uncover kind of more about this. So, um, you know, we, we dug a little bit deeper into, um, into building the brand, right? We got really good at running ads. We got really good at optimizing the onsite experience. And then we realized that a lot of people had uh, a need for the kind of competency that we had developed. And then we realized kind of the potential for us to take our knowledge and professionalize it and package it up um, was actually far more valuable than um, even the brand that we had created. So that's when Yusuf and I came together and at the time the pandemic had just hit. And so the need for e-commerce had kind of exploded. And so we came together and said, how neat would it be to kind of fill that talent deficiency gap and offer this kind of nice uh, outsourced turnkey solution for uh, e-commerce strategy. Uh, so that's really the beginning of PrismFly. 
Um, and since then, we've just grown like an absolute rocket ship, which has been you know, a privilege and a blessing. Um, and a lot of that is a testament to Yusuf's background, who's the actual pro here um, in terms of service delivery. He's been in the space doing a CRO for much longer. So much of service delivery has been built on, on his expertise as well. Yeah, it was funny, like Yusuf was mentioning, like I remember back the days of like, he would send me a Snapchat of like a giant, like, like three rooms long of like just order labels being printed off and like the boxes that were filling his dorm room. And I was like, sweet, it's working. And I was just happy that I wasn't having to ship out all the orders. But at the same time, like at the same time, I was also like handling the customer service and like adjusting the on-site experience and running tests. And I was just like, for like an hour and a half every night, it was just like getting on and doing customer service emails. And uh, it was a lot of fun. But the interesting bit was that we realized even as a very, very small brand, the issues that we were facing just in our merchant experience were the same issues when I was working with like JCPenney and Dior and some of these biggest names um, in the market. It was the same exact issues that they were facing. And so we realized like, you know, Shopify is really doing something special here. Uh, and the nice thing is that a lot of the merchants out there in the ecosystem understand that. And if you can get really good at doing it, even on a small scale or on a big scale, then you can have just monumental impact. And so um, it's kind of, it was kind of nice because uh, the smaller you are, a lot of times it allows you to pivot really quickly um, and slowly things are shifting to where it's like, you can try different things out. You can try out different technologies without having to like rip out giant ecosystems or have months long mm -hmm. process for integrations. And so uh, that's been really nice. And that's really enabled PrismFly to, you know, test all different types of things, which has been great. I'd love to talk about some of those issues and in particular the ways, yeah, that you guys notice and have seen that you can move the levers to, to pivot past them. But do you think it's very relatable to talk about challenges? And when I spoke to you guys before, you told me a great story of, well, I just flat out asked you, tell me about when you guys realized you could do this. Your two brothers, Yusuf, you mentioned yeah. you had like just bought a house um, yeah. and like, <laughs> Just tell me about that moment where you guys are struggling to make this work and then finally you see that, that light. Yeah, this is a great question, Scott. Um, so yeah, so, you know, from a macro perspective, we had a really good idea that e-commerce was just gonna continue to explode, especially in wake of the pandemic. Um, and that was sort of our gut feeling. We obviously were at the grassroots of that as a merchant. And so we felt that. Um, but, you know, when we chose to go all in and actually create, you know, this kind of business to business outsource turnkey professional services option, um, it was a lot less clear if we would be successful um, because there wasn't much of a roadmap there um, like there was with creating a brand. So there was probably six or seven months that went past where we just didn't have a lot of traction. You know, I was sort of on the, the, the ground floor talking to a lot of merchants about their problems, trying to figure out um, what would be the right pricing strategy for us to kind of go to market with this. Um, and at the time, you know, throughout all of this, we're making no money. So we haven't taken on any institutional capital at all. Um, and so my little savings were kind of quickly dwindling to zero. And I, kind of asked Yusuf, I was like, what are we gonna do here? Because things are running out. And Yusuf, you know, was three, four years 
my senior, so he had had a job and had savings. I said, what if you just bought a house and we lived in one of the rooms and rented out the other rooms and could use some of that profit to float us because we had had some knowledge of real estate. And Yusuf said, well, I guess it's our only option, right? So he went in all in on that and um, that helped float us throughout that kind of period. But for me, the moment that really signaled, hey, this might actually work is we were having a conversation with a merchant for about two months about conversion rate optimization and the power of incrementally increasing your conversion rate, your average order around LTV. And um, I remember it was, it was a Friday night and it was, it'd been a really tough week with absolutely no traction. And Yusuf and I were at this, um, we were at this restaurant and uh, there was nobody in there, which was kind of like the first red flag. And, you know, like our food was taking forever to come out. And it was just, it was just, we were so hungry. And it was just a really sort of like tough day, I guess, if you will, like everything was going wrong. And out of nowhere, we got this wire into our bank of, I believe it was 20 or $25,000. And it just was like the craziest experience ever going from zero to that. At the time we were like celebrating, we're like, oh my gosh, like we made it. <laughs> um, but what that really was, was an indicator that, hey, somebody sees value in this. And then now mm -hmm. we have to go deliver on it. And then as the story goes, we did deliver on it well, which led to more work. But for me, it was that kind of moment where we were at our worst and out of nowhere, um, we were then at our best. Yeah. I think for me, it's been almost like two, two sides uh, of the coin. Like one was going from, you know, Yassine and I servicing merchants and like really taking on a lot of the work ourselves, to, you know, freaking out about hiring the first person um, and, and then making that investment and then realizing, holy crap, now we can do so much more. Um, and then really training up a team, developing onboarding such that the PrismFly service is very cohesive. We're adding double digit value to multiple merchants and, uh, the, the best part for me now is like jumping on with merchants and they're like excited to be on a call with us. They're like geared up and both of us are just kind of super geeked out about what's the cool thing that we're going to build next and realizing that like, yes, we've built an agency, we've built a business, but in the past, um, it always felt like um, you're maybe even at odds with like the agency or the consulting company that you're working with. Whereas this felt like we were both excited to get on the call. We were excited to talk about the future, what projects, what things are we going to try? Um, and so that was a really refreshing feeling. Um, and then even, I think, kind of months into from when Yassine spoke about, you know, fast forward six months, um, seeing clients, um, we don't have any sort of like lock-in on any of our retainers. And so we're, you know, effectively clients have the ability to leave at any point um, pretty much. And so... But it was funny to watch in previous agencies, I watched it as there was these big discussions around retention and they would have issues with merchants that weren't happy with the service and were leaving. And we were seeing merchants like basically never roll off. We never had a merchant roll off even in our first year. And it was wild because I think that for me, it was sort of every single month that everybody was staying on. And it wasn't just me sort of handling all the engagements, but really the entire team all handling separate engagements, I realized like we've really built something special. People really appreciate it. 
they're not just buying into it because they see value, but they also are continuing to see that value and that growth. Um, and so it, it's, yeah, it's just been really incredible. And like to this day, like years later, we, we don't even know our true client retention because the first clients that have come on have never rolled off. So it's been really nice. I love that too. You guys spoke about, you know, what a great celebration to, to see that number in the bank account, but just that the immediate thought was, all right, now we're going to go crush it for these guys. Like we are yeah. going to show them yeah. the value of this and make it so worth their while. I mean, they never left. So that's great. Um, speaking of that value, speaking of crushing it, we were chatting before about PrismFly, how you guys are like incredible expertise at conversion rate optimization. I'm big on the show about bragging. I want to hear some brags. So tell me about like uh, your favorite story of getting a brand and turning it around for them. You don't have to name names at all, but just the one that comes to mind where you're like, wow, we, we made a hockey stick out of that. Yeah. You see, I, I have one that I'm thinking of, but if you want to check yeah. it out. Yeah. So I think of the same thing. Yeah, there's, we're probably thinking of the same one for sure. Um, so there's one, so for a lot of the merchants we work with, um, many of them are, you know, I'll, I'll admittedly say kind of already in that kind of $5 million to $100 million range, right? But what we notice is that a lot of them have plateaued. So they've kind of reached this, this, um, this kind of roadblock where they're like, we don't know how to go from where we're at today to the next level. And that's where we step in and can really help them uncover um, revenue and value in places that they never even would have thought. So there's one brand in particular I'm thinking of, you just probably thinking of it as well, where um, they have thousands of SKUs, their average order value is less than $50. And um, a lot of those SKUs were interrelated. So they had some items that had certain colors that would match up with other items, even though they were different product types. And one of the things we executed at kind of day one was advanced bundle building, where we could empower the customers to actually add multiple things to their cart and achieve that, um, achieve discounts kind of with the, with the more that they add. And, you know, historically in a CMS like Shopify, that's not a super easy thing to accomplish. You have to think about the folks doing your picking and packing on the logistics side. You have to understand, okay, what discounts can I comfortably give away while not totally crushing margin? So there's a lot that goes into it from the strategy side, the development side, and the design side. Um, and getting all of those things right for that merchant basically increases their average order value 65%. And so we're talking, um, you know, in some instances, I think even seven-figure impacts, right, to a brand like that who for a long time has been maybe experiencing some plateau. And this is you know, a three month initiative that can basically totally change the game for the cost to them, which is relatively very minimal. Yeah. Quickly after the, the CEO was asking people to put like banners and messaging around the site, pointing to that experience and they were running ads toward it just because of how much impact it had. So it was really wild. Uh, I think kind of touching on, on that, like some of the successes that I've really loved are the ones that you know, typically new often engagement, we're going through and we're coming up with a ton of ideas, um, both data validated, but it also could be just based off of their industry or from like uh, UX best practices or things that maybe we think that could help them stand out from their competitors. So we come up with a giant laundry list and then we go through and prioritize those based off of impact and effort, um, which kind of results you then in a list of quick wins. And I think some of my favorite are when you run a test that takes you 
you know, maybe a few hours to set up, but it has like a 10% improvement on their overall revenue with like 100% statistical significance. Those are my favorite. Um, those are like, you know, I kind of check out for the day. I like send a message with like the rocket and I'm like, hey guys, here's the results. Just crushed it. You know, congrats. And then just like walk off, take a walk, you know, enjoy my day. Love to hear that. Yeah, that must be a great feeling. Uh, what do you guys think some brands misunderstand about CRO or maybe underestimate? Yeah, so I would love to start here. And um, in transparency, some of my knowledge on this was rehashed from Yusuf educating me on it too. Um, so he'll probably laugh while I talk about this. But, <laughs> um, Yusuf always says the best thing for your conversion rate is just make your product free. Everybody's going to buy it, right? Said nobody ever, right? So what you don't just care about is conversion rate. You should also care about things like average order value and lifetime value. So I think a lot of people in this space um, are really eager to increase conversion rate, but they forget that um, what you really care about to drive earnings is being helpful in a manner that can drive LTV. So Yusuf and I um, sometimes suggest initiatives and Yusuf can maybe speak to this deeper um, that aren't just sort of conversion rate related, but could also be average order value related and finding the balance between those two. So take subscription as a really good example of that. Sometimes you might want to give up some money at the upfront to get somebody subscribed and saved, and that's going to increase lifetime value down the line. So maybe in that first purchase, you're losing a little bit, but you really have to think about, you know, three months down the line, four months down the line. So I think there's a lot of merchants that um, kind of forget that there's more that goes into conversion rate optimization than just trying to get more people to buy, right? What you're really trying to do is be helpful to the customer. And the best metric of that is lifetime value. Yeah. There's like some great examples of like, you know, maybe let's say you're selling shaving products, for example, and maybe if you sell the cheaper beard oil, that that's going to result in someone coming back to get the shaving kit to come back and get the shaving balm or you know whatever other products that you sell and so figuring like looking at the data is like a common practice that we're going through and doing and then trying to identify what are the entry paths that are going to create that long-term value um, a lot of times that's being subscription but it might mean uh sacrificing some of your conversion rate up front um and, but the nice thing is that your LTV skyrockets. And, and there's data in a lot of stores already that support a lot of those decisions. And so um, it's not often as big of a risk as, um, as, someone, uh, as someone might think it is. Um, and I would say the misconception I see most often is maybe less of a misconception. It's more when brands uh, say they're data-driven and then um, you show them data and they're like, well, we've always done it this way. <laughs> And so I think that's the probably the biggest one that people have to kind of gut check themselves. That's not the data we like. Yeah. <laughs> we look at the other data. Exactly. Yeah. Um, let's say I'm a CPG brand. I'm uh, I make delicious granola bars. This is basically I'm really curious about the pitch. So we're Scotty's granola bars. I have no subscription program. Could you kind of walk me through the pitch you would give a merchant like that to say? look, you've plateaued, here is the value of subscriptions and here's how we break it down so you can understand? Yeah, I have a couple of macro thoughts about this that I think might even apply to brands outside of the CPG brand. But um, as business owners, we really care about the future. We try to plan with the future in mind. 
But when you don't have certainty in the future, it's tough to kind of plan against uh, your goals, right? So in the current model without subscription, somebody will come in and kind of make a purchase and that's great, but who knows if they're gonna come back next month and make that same purchase. So when a brand is trying to think about maybe the product mode roadmap for research and development, or maybe they wanna do some brick and mortar and open up like a flagship store, it's really tough for them to let's say go to a bank and take out a line of credit when they don't have certainty in what the future looks like. So maybe they're able to give up a little bit and add value to the customer in order to get them subscribed. But what they get in exchange for that, the value to the merchant is certainty in the future. So now they can start to do things like be a little bit more bold about maybe financing through debt and doing something like um, you know launching more products, doing more R&D, uh, scaling more aggressively with ads. Um, you know, so, so from a macro perspective, it's really important for a merchant to think about how do I lock in the future? And I think that that's where subscription plays in really nice. Yusuf, what are your thoughts? Yeah, um, really just kind of, you know, I, I completely agree. Nothing really too big to add on to that. Um, yeah. Something else about I would say. For, yeah, please. Sorry. Sorry, Thank sorry, you sorry to interrupt. I think this one will be no. good. Something, something I think would be awesome for a CPG brand who's maybe selling granola bars would be uh, bundling those items in a way where the customer can choose what flavors are put in their box. And that, of course, will have a big uh, impact on average order value. But let's take it to the next step. What if now that somebody has custom curated their own box, you could put that box on subscription? So not only do you get a big boost in average order value up front, on creating that added value to the end customer, but now you get that value locked in on a recurring basis. So some of the best projects we've seen for CPG are actually bundling combined with subscription. Um, those tend to work phenomenally. Yeah, and kind of sorry to add on, um, I, I think one thing I would touch on is that, you know, when you talk to, when you talk to merchants about, you know, and when they think about who is their best customer, right? the best customer is the one that keeps coming back, right? Um, and so as they're launching new products, they're trying out those different products, right? They're coming back and buying things that they like again and again. Um, and brands are trying to do that with email. They're trying to do that with retargeting ads and, you know, push notifications in an app. But, you know, one of the best ways possible is to enable that customer that loves your brand to do that easier. And subscription, um, kind of my biggest pitch is like, hey, how do you get more people to be that customer? And the answer is a subscription offering um, because it simply allows people to do that far easier than having to come back, purchase on the site, find the product again. And even if you don't have the hottest shopping experience, at least now people don't have to come back and deal with it again. Uh, you know, now it's no friction. It just arrives at their door. Yeah, that's a great point. We've seen that too. We, we say this all the time, but I think it's one of the biggest takeaways if you're thinking about subscription or have a subscription program that feels stalled. And it's just ensuring your customers, your subscribers have that autonomy over their program. If you're locking them into, we only ship this every four weeks, I'm sorry, this is it. And this is your only flavor. This is all you get. You're going to get a lot of churn because customers want to be able to skip. They want to be able to swap products. They want to be able to control that um, order schedule. So I definitely see that on our side as well. And Scott, what you're speaking to, I think is really special. And it's something that, um, like underpins the importance in certain CRO programs that people miss 
fundamentally as a business, but then also, of course, as a brand being in our space, uh, what you're really trying to do is be helpful to the customer. And it's really that simple. So when you think about subscription, when you think about CRO, when you think about all these things, take a 30,000 foot view and just say, what can I do to be helpful to the customer? And it's really that easy and kind of work backwards against that goal. Exactly. Zooming in from that 30,000 foot view, how about like a year view? Kind of asked you guys this question before. What do you think maybe are some trends or some things to keep an eye on as we move into 2022 for any CRO? It doesn't have to be subscriptions, just anything DTC or CRO. Ian, do you want to touch on it? I would say kind of one off the top of my head um, is, is being personalization, right? Um, and that's personalization in different flavors, right? So as you mentioned, within a subscription, how do you personalize that subscription uh, to yourself versus it just being a store offering? Um, how do you personalize your bundle? Um, and how do you personalize even the product findability, right? From, you know, recently viewed through to, you know, AI-based search that's going to maybe predict products based off of what they've looked at before. Um, so all of that is super important and, and not just in your product findability and your on-site experience, but it could also be personalization in the sense that if someone goes through a quiz flow or if someone um, is coming in from a certain ad, how do you listen to those signals and those data points they've given you either from a quiz, an ad click, an email click, and now start to change the website experience based off of that. Um, maybe you have a really solid influencer program and that's your primary driver of your business. Maybe now talking about what those influencers' favorite products are based off of the influencer that they came from. So things like that, um, you know, if they've told you their name, you know, adding their name to the account section, as simple as that, um, can just be a really easy way um, to not, you know, you don't want to fast track into personalization. It's funny, some brands that I've like never visited, I go out on it and it's like, you might also like, and I'm like, you don't know what I like yet. I just first, this is my first visit. But understanding what does a new visitor get? What is a visitor that showed you some data? And then where do you go after they've answered a quiz, they've clicked ads, they're subscribed to your email? Then what should they see? And really taking each initiative and putting it in those buckets and say, what should it look like at each of these stages rather than just kind of building something flat? So personalization being a big one um, that exists across. I think we're starting to see that with bundling, with quiz flows a lot. Um, um, yeah, and then, and then kind of finally, the biggest one that I've seen a lot of recently is subscription and not always traditional subscription. We're seeing a lot of uh, unique subscriptions. So even if a company, their primary product is maybe a physical good where you're going to typically buy one of them, they might add on, for example, a cleaning uh, product that is eligible for subscription. Or if you buy, for example, a toothbrush, maybe the heads are available as a subscription offering. So even if you're not subscription eligible, you can benefit from the reliability of uh, subscription by just figuring out an additional product that might make sense for that. Yeah, even to, to, to build on that, Yusuf, there's brands where maybe, like let's say maybe they're a high average order value product and it's really meant for a one-time purchase, but let's say they have a really loyal fan base. Um, there's even ways to tie in subscription into like making customer accounts to offer up unique discounts. So even if a brand doesn't have kind of that repeat, repeat purchase ability, they still, there's still subscription components in there that they can leverage and take advantage of um, that maybe aren't as obvious at the upfront, um, but still add a ton of value to the end customer, right? Like maybe it's unique discounts or access to content that they wouldn't otherwise get 
if they weren't kind of on that subscribe model for the content piece, right? Yeah, yeah we've seen one. that as, oh, I was just gonna say, uh, that's the fastest growing subscription type right now, this like access membership. Also one of the easiest to do across your vertical, just like you're saying, um, Yusuf, when you were mentioning these most loyal customers, those are the people you can bring into this, you know, show them the value of a program. Yeah. Whether it's discounts, access to exclusive products. Um, we, we've definitely seen more and more brands experimenting with that, but Yusuf, I cut you off. What were you going to mention? No, no, I was going to say like, exactly like that, that membership club type of experience. And, uh, uh, it's funny that I would say the other one that I've started to see popping up, but it's probably still an early trend is live shopping. Um, it's mm -hmm. something that you see really popular in, in Asian markets and we're starting to see it on Amazon and other, large players starting to incorporate it. So I think that um, there's a lot of uh, vendors that have started to make themselves eligible for, for more Shopify merchants with one-click integrations. So, um, and that's perfect tie-in with having like a membership program where you can be eligible for a live shopping experience where, you know, we're all stuck at home and we're used to video calls. So now it's kind of, it's sort of like Twitch, right? Or TikTok, but for your online shopping experience. We've been talking about that here for like the last two years, just waiting for that to come to North America yeah. or to like the West. Um, I feel like it's just a matter of time. Yeah, it's just a matter yeah. of time before you're going to see your influencer pop up on Instagram. They're trying out like the next latest like gear, if it's headphones or something. And you're like, oh yeah, I want that click. Boom, you're there. Yeah. Yeah. One thing, one thing. Back when I was in college and I was like trying to get my style game on, I would always watch these like YouTube haul videos. And it's like basically mm -hmm. the YouTube haul video and I'd go Google the products afterward. Now it's basically all of that packaged up into a store where it's like, Hey, I'm going to try on all these products. Now there's like the link popping up on the screen, right. When you're seeing it, you know? Yeah. No more affiliate okay. link. Just click this button. One click friction. Exactly. Yeah, totally. The, the kind of thought I have with a lot of this is, you know, as things go so digital, that's great. Right. But at the end of the day, we're people at heart. And a lot of these initiatives we're talking about, I love them because they're really unique ways to bring the shopping experience almost off the screen and, um, and really take it to that next, you know, that next, um, that next mile, right? That's what I like to say. So bringing the shopping experience to life in a world where things are so digitized is super important. So Yusuf and I launched this uh, or supported a brand in, uh, thinking about how they would launch, you know, artificial intelligence for, um, you know, uh, things like hair extensions, right? Uh, so that's a perfect way where like, maybe somebody's having trouble choosing their color. What if they could see the color on themselves, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so I think a big trend is just, hey, how do we figure out how to bring this off the screen a little bit? Speaking of that humanizing experience and from your human perspective, uh, as one guy who's started his own DT, DTC business, was successful, now two brothers working together. Well, what, what advice would you give anyone who's thinking about making that leap into entrepreneurship, whether they're just starting out or thinking about it? Any advice come to mind that you would offer them from your own experience? Yeah, I, I definitely have some good thoughts on this. I know Yusuf does as well. The most important thing is just to start. I think people are momentum creatures. And you know when you see a little bit of success, um, and you see the small win that leads to the next win, which leads to the next win, which leads to the next win, right? But a, a journey of a thousand miles all starts with that uh, singular step. And I think most people really struggle with that, with that, right? So doing whatever you can to kind of take the first step will set you up for success. Uh, and then the other thing is no time is the right time. 
That's something Yusuf and I learned. It's always, oh, well, what if we did this or did that first, or we waited till this happened or waited till that happened. The reality is there's always going to be something. And I think people need to um, just take a big step back, do a lot of self-searching and realize no time is the right time. The best time is right now. Yeah. And to add on that, I think the only other one that we've really learned um, is just focus is so, so important. Um, you don't have to be everything to everyone. Um, know what you're you know, really, really good at and just be the best at it. Um, and people will remember you for it. People will come to you for it. Um, and yeah, just focus. Um, yeah. I'll throw three cliches at you. If you're, if you're listening to this and you're thinking about getting started, this was your sign. Get started. Stop yeah. waiting for a sign. Second one, just like you were saying, you seen best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. Second best time right now, plant, exactly. plant the tree. And then third one, one of my favorite ones that I've come across is what's the most important step a person can take? towards anything goal whatever it is and it was just simply the next one and i love yeah. that you know don't don't look too far forward don't look too far back just keep you know incremental growth it's the best way to do it yeah, yeah it was I funny we had this attitude whenever we were when we when we were merchant and really coming into prison fly that there is going to be obstacles like there always will be um that's the name of the game but what will lead someone to success is seeing those obstacles as opportunities um, for basically bettering their organization, bettering their offering, bettering themselves, um, and really just not facing them in the sense that like, this is a blocker or this is going to stop us. I think there's like a, a big mind shift, sh mindset shift where you see those obstacles as, hey, this is a blocker that's going to stop us versus, okay, this is just the next problem that we have to solve. And as soon as we're, it's behind us, we never have to worry about it again. And so just kind of treating things in that sense, um, was definitely a shift, but I think that's what, you know, there's always going to be random issues that pop up and just kind of moving past them is, is, is tricky, but it's very doable. And it's just a matter of keeping, keep chipping at it. One, one thing we like to say at Prison Fly is that pressure is a privilege. Um, tension or problems or friction is actually required for growth. Like you can't make a shot without first missing a few shots. Yeah. And, you know, we kind of like to think about it like a slingshot, like the further you create tension in that pullback, positive tension, in that pullback, the further that ball is then going to go. Right. And so at our company internally, and also we, we encourage us for our employees in their personal lives, like really lean into discomfort, like get comfortable with discomfort, because that's where growth occurs. Um, and if you don't feel that tension, that time under tension, you will just not experience the growth or kind of yeah. get to where you want to be. It's like, if you want to improve your heart health, you got to put your heart under some stress. You know, if you want to mm -hmm. work out, you need to go through the difficulty to have the benefits, you know, mm -hmm. diamonds are formed with, you know, tons of pressure. So mm -hmm. it's, it's very similar in personal growth and in brand growth. I have two specific prison fly questions for you. The first one just simply being we're recording this. If you're listening in the first days of January, 2022. So what's next in 2022 for prison fly? What do you guys got going on? Yusuf, I'll leave that in your court with those two new verticals. Oh, geez. Yeah. So in terms of, um, I, I think some of the biggest ones for us is, uh, systematizing, um, data querying, um, you know, sparing getting way too far into it basically 
Um, we realize that there's a lot of different um, maybe problems that merchants might have. And a lot of times, despite having very different widgets and offerings, the problems at their core are the same. And so figuring out ways that we can um, query their data um, across different merchants to identify if those problems exist and how to solve them and the best way to solve them. Um, so I think that's probably one of the biggest ones on my end outside of that, um, kind of moving into software solutions in the sense that um, if you can solve that problem once, uh, you probably can solve that problem twice, three, four times with software. Um, so that's another one of the big ones. Um, and then you seen anything, uh, there's probably ones I'm missing or ones you're thinking about. No, I, I think you definitely hit the nail on the head. You know, PrisonFly wants to obviously uh, do more of what we're already doing, but I think for us, uh, we're, we have a culture of just trying to always improve at PrisonFly. And so um, we have a culture of like automation, we have a culture of systematization. Um, to us, that's really important. So I think uh, we're gonna continue to grow as a company and continue to professionalize ourselves. Uh, but the way that we deliver on the work, I think it's just gonna continue to get better and better uh, over time. Um, even the, in the way that we do CRO, we're starting to collect learnings from different sub-niches that can then be translated to other niches in a way that is super turnkey, right? So we're starting to develop kind of the infrastructure to capture those learnings in a really systematized way that can be even more turnkey than it already is with us as a professional services company. Right. Right. And the benefit, it's funny, we always talk about the value equations with merchants or with, with our team. And part of the value equation is how do you get to a win? Um, part of that value equation is how fast you can do it. And so uh, to Yassine's point, we're always trying to optimize even our internal processes from training and onboarding and, you know, getting wins faster. And so, yeah. We love the word velocity here too. It's a big one. Um, my other specific prison fly question was, and we'll put these links um, up on the channel, but where can people get in touch with prison fly if they're interested in working with you guys? Yeah. So there's, there's really three key places. I would say the first is our website, which is prismfly.com. That's spelled P R I S M F L Y. And then also on LinkedIn, and then we recently became a certified and preferred Shopify Plus partner. So we have a full page on ourselves uh, on the Shopify Plus services, uh, preferred partner services page. And uh, people can also get in touch with us there or by direct email. Yusuf and I are super transparent. If there's <laughs> any way we can help you or you just want to kind of brainstorm and geek out about e-commerce, we're at your disposal. That's just Yusuf at prismfly.com and Yusuf at prismfly.com. I love that. Now we ask this question to everyone as we're wrapping it up. What physical products do you guys subscribe to? Do you have any that uh, you get pretty regularly? Yassine, why don't we start with you? Yeah, that's, that's excellent. So I love exercise. I love health and wellness. Um, and we do our best to shop with the merchants that actually we work with. Um, so, you know, one of our favorite clients is a company called Simple Modern. I'll give them a big shout out here. They create a high quality drinkware. We both have the same one. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> uh, high quality uh, drinkware and also, um, you know, accessories like coolers and, uh, and backpacks. But one of the things we really love about Simple Modern as a brand is that they're not just selling products, they're selling an experience and, and their mission statement is to do good and give generously. So a big percentage of their profits 
goes to charities and donations and things like that. So for me, when I drink from a simple modern bottle, um, it's not just for my own health and wellness, but I know somebody somewhere um, was benefited in a really positive way. And to me, success in brand building is about that. It's about the why, not the product. You have to sell the why, um, not just an item. Right. Otherwise you go to Amazon. So mm -hmm. yeah. And so it's kind of, it's that, it's that moat building around your brand. On my end, um, uh, one of our merchants um, that we work with frequently that we're a huge fan of is Nutrition Factory. So I've got a couple um, supplement subscriptions from them. Um, and then I'm also a huge fan. Uh, there's a brand called Honey Stinger. They make these little waffles, um, which mm -hmm. are just, I've never had anything like it before, but it was one of the best snacks I've had in my life. Um, mm. absolutely love it. They're called honey. I'll throw out another one that I really love. Um, it's a company called Redland Cotton. They create premium, um, premium bed sheets and pillowcases oh, yeah. and all this, but, but the really unique thing is that they're all American made and in a world where it's so easy to kind of save costs and offshore, they've made it a point to kind of employ people here at home in the U S and I think that just commitment to quality, um, and commitment to kind of things that go beyond just the product like that, like employing people here at home is something that I know definitely resonates with Yusuf and I, right? It's taken it to that next degree. And something they've proven is that, hey, customers are willing to spend more if the story's right. And that has definitely been a learning for me. I love that the story, the why, and it's so true. That's what keeps people coming back. Very, very interested, by the way, going to check out as soon as we wrap this up, uh, that waffle snack thing. That sounds right up my alley. Um, Yusuf Yassin, thanks so much for joining us on Hit Subscribe, and we wish you the best for 2022. Thanks for having us. Likewise, Happy New Year, guys. Thanks, Scott. It was a pleasure. We'd like to thank Yassin and Yusuf once again for joining us. If you're interested to learn more about Prism Fly, you can head over to prismfly.com. And if you're looking for more of our episodes, you can check us out at rechargepayments.com slash hitsubscribe. subscribe.